Welcome to the Refine Your Health podcast with Dr. Dion. I'm a primary care physician, and now I can happily add podcaster. Tune in to each episode to hear great information on improving health outcomes, disease prevention, and overall community health advocacy. Thanks for listening. Now let's jump into today's episode to improve your health. Hello, listeners. It is your host, Dr. Dion. Thanks for checking out this episode of Refine Your Health. First, I'd like to say happy spring. Yes, we are officially into spring. I am so excited to be out of the winter months. The days are getting longer and the temperatures are getting warmer. So I hope you guys are beginning to enjoy some of the warm weather, depending on where you are living at this point in time. Those who have not already done so and provided a five-star review on your streaming platform of choice, please, please, please do so. So I can continue to provide you with amazing content to improve your health. So now that that's out of the way, let's just jump right into our episode for today. And that is why is high blood pressure considered bad? So let's just start off by talking about what is high blood pressure. Blood pressure is the pressure of the blood pushing against the walls of your blood vessels, most notably your arteries. And for those of you who don't know what the arteries are, the arteries are basically blood vessels that distribute blood throughout the rest of the body from the heart. And it's normal to have blood pressure to rise and fall throughout the day. So high blood pressure or what we call in the medical community, hypertension occurs when the pressure is higher than normal in those blood vessels. And if it lasts for a long period of time, it can cause damage to the heart as well as develop into other medical conditions. That's why it's so important to discuss high blood pressure. And the most interesting statistic that I came across when I was doing research on this topic is that nearly half of the adults in the United States have high blood pressure or they may be taking medication for high blood pressure. But the most alarming thing about this number is despite having the diagnosis, only one in four adults have their blood pressure under control. That is why we talk about this topic, because we want to improve these statistics. So you won't have those potential complications of uncontrolled blood pressure where you have damage to your heart and develop other medical conditions that we'll discuss during this episode. So What are the risk factors for developing high blood pressure or hypertension? Some conditions that increase risk for high blood pressure include having a borderline elevation in your blood pressure that goes on to develop into hypertension, having a medical history of diabetes and risk factors that are related to lifestyle choices. And that's related to increased salt consumption or high sodium intake, lack of exercise increases your risk being obese or overweight, consuming too much alcohol increases your risk for high blood pressure, tobacco use, most notably smoking, as well as having a diagnosis of high cholesterol. Now, let's transition into some areas that increase our risk that typically we don't have control over. So as we age, there's an increased risk for developing high blood pressure. Genetics, just having a family history, you know, you hear about people saying, oh, it just runs in my family. So having those risk factors increases potentially your risk of or someone that you may know risk of developing high blood pressure. Race plays a role. And this was an interesting statistic that I came across as well. African-Americans develop high blood pressure more often than Caucasians and other minorities. And according to the American Heart Association states that African-Americans compared to Caucasians develop high blood pressure at an earlier age than this particular population in the United States. So 
we need to consider race will also likely play a role in developing high blood pressure. Now, as it relates to African-Americans having high blood pressure greater than other populations in the United States, as well as getting it at an earlier age compared to other populations and having it be more severe. The research, according to the American Heart Association, researchers have found that there may be a gene that exists in African-Americans, which make them more sensitive to salt. And they were saying that something as small as one extra gram of salt could increase your blood pressure by five points. Otherwise, there's really no other research to back up why African-Americans may have high blood pressure. But there are some theories out there that African-Americans have a higher rate of obesity as well as diabetes, which may increase their risk for having high blood pressure. However, I would like to take that a step further and say that increased stress plays a major role in African-American community compared to other populations, especially as it relates to racial inequality. And that's something that the African-American population has been dealing with for years in this country. And the battle to combat racial inequality, especially in the African-American community, continues. For example, if you just think about the year 2020 and all that transpired during that year, including the peaceful protests across the United States surrounding this issue. And so having to deal with that as a stressor almost on a daily basis may likely lead to health conditions such as high blood pressure, or shall I say hypertension. Therefore, this is something that we need to take note of that being African-American can increase your potential risk of developing high blood pressure. Now, the diagnosis of high blood pressure, many of you may already know this. Most often, you're diagnosed with high blood pressure by measuring your blood pressure, let's say, at a physician's office more often than not. And a normal blood pressure is considered blood pressure to be less than 120 over 80. So in order to better understand those numbers, for example, 120 systolic, that's the top number that you get when you get a blood pressure reading, and 80 diastolic, that's the bottom number. Now, when we get into the diagnosis of high blood pressure, that may vary per healthcare professional that you may encounter. And the reason in the variations in the diagnosis of high blood pressure by different medical providers is that they may follow certain healthcare organizations' guidelines in regards to what they consider a diagnosis of high blood pressure as well as when to consider treatment for the particular diagnosis of high blood pressure. However, there are two major groups that we use as guidelines when we decide giving a person the diagnosis of high blood pressure, as well as when to treat. So according to the Joint National Committee on Prevention 2003 guidelines, you're considered at risk for developing or prehypertensive for high blood pressure if your blood pressure ranges 120 to 139, systolic over 80 to 89, diastolic. And you're diagnosed with high blood pressure if it's 140 over 90 or greater. Now, according to the American College of Cardiology, they consider being elevated blood pressure 120 to 129, systolic and a diastolic less than 80. And what is considered a diagnosis of high blood pressure 
at 130 over 80 or higher. So you can see the difference between what the American Heart Association, and American College of Cardiology states that you are considered hypertensive at 130 over 80 or higher compared to the Joint National Committee on Prevention of 140 over 90 or higher, or shall I say 140 or higher systolic over 90 or greater diastolic. So I have a tendency to follow along the guidelines of the Joint National Committee. And the reason I choose to do so is mainly because when I look at certain patient populations as it relates to risk factors, mainly those individuals that are at increased risk due to lifestyle choices, that gives most of those patients the opportunity to improve their blood pressure through dietary as well as behavioral choices, which may involve like quitting smoking, decreasing alcohol consumption, exercising, and to see if those modifications improve blood pressure prior to needing the start of medications in some cases. Now, I often tell patients if your blood pressures are in the range of 160 or above systolic or 100 or above diastolic, my threshold is very low in starting medications. It just varies on what your risk factors are in regards to other medical issues as well as risk of complications if your blood pressure goes untreated for a long period of time. It is individualized per provider on when certain medications are, are started as well as which guidelines they usually prefer to follow. Now, if you talk to a, a heart specialist or a cardiologist, like I had during a discussion on a previous episode when I discussed coronary artery disease, there's a lower threshold to diagnose individuals with high blood pressure as well as starting medications. In addition, for the elderly population, the threshold is different. So for populations greater than the age of 60 or higher, the threshold to diagnose high blood pressure is 150 over 90 or higher, especially with physicians that follow the American College Physician Guidelines or the American Academy of Family Physicians Guidelines. But the American Heart Association, as well as American College of Cardiology, desires these individuals to be less than 130 over 80. So across the board for this particular group, they want individuals to be 130 over 80 or less, according to the American College of Cardiology, as well as American Heart Association, versus the other organizations that use a threshold of 150 over 90 for the elderly population of 60 and above to be 150 over 90 or less. So there may be a variation on when a physician may start your medication. So if you go to a primary care office, they may use the Joint National Committee and the American College of Physicians, as well as the American Academy of Family Physician guidelines compared to the cardiologist. So if you go to a cardiologist's office, they may try to follow along those guidelines that I previously uh, stated and starting you on blood pressure medication at a lower threshold compared to some of the other organizations that I previously mentioned. Also, I'd like to mention as well that for those individuals with underlying medical conditions, there are goal blood pressures that an individual should be at. Let's say if you have a history of diabetes or heart disease, that your 
blood pressure should be within a certain range. So despite giving those guidelines that I previously mentioned, there are some adjustments in those particular guidelines if you have underlying medical conditions. So I want to make sure that you're aware of that because the goals for those particular patients with underlying medical conditions will have to be adjusted. Therefore, if you have an underlying medical condition and not sure of what your blood pressure readings goals should be, definitely feel free to discuss that with your primary care doctor or a specialist. In addition, I always like to emphasize as well that a diagnosis of high blood pressure is not necessarily diagnosed after one blood pressure reading in a doctor's office. Sometimes it requires close monitoring with comparing multiple office visits prior to giving a person a diagnosis of high blood pressure. However, if it's elevated, like I mentioned earlier, where there's concern of potential risk with uncontrolled blood pressure, especially in the range of 160 systolic and above or a diastolic number of 100 or higher, then the threshold will be lower in the diagnosis of high blood pressure in many of those cases. So a lot of people wonder, are there signs and symptoms? Usually individuals do not have any signs or symptoms when it comes to the diagnosis of high blood pressure. And that's likely due to high blood pressure developing usually over a period of time. That's why it's so concerning because high blood pressure is considered a silent killer. According to the Center for Disease Control states that one in three adults in the United States with high blood pressure aren't even aware that they have it and are not being treated to control their blood pressure. Since so many individuals can walk around without any symptoms, doesn't necessarily mean that you can go without risk of developing any of the complications that we will discuss during this episode. So that's why it's so important for individuals, if you don't have a primary care doctor, that you establish care with your primary care doctor and to make sure that you are having your blood pressure monitored at those visits. And it's typical for a person to have their blood pressure check at majority of their office visits. And so if there's any concern about high blood pressure, especially if you're aware of any potential risk factors that we discussed during this episode, as well as looking at the numbers that you have been getting in the office to make sure that you discuss that with your primary care physician. Also, I want to mention that I've come across instances in the office where individuals who do not have primary care physicians, they go to urgent cares, they go to the emergency room, and they're told that their blood pressure is elevated and recommend that they follow up with their primary care physician. There's a reason why that they recommend that is because like I said, it's considered a silent killer. Even though you're feeling fine and things of that nature, it's important to follow up because you don't want the complications of uncontrolled blood pressure. So it's important if you don't have a primary care physician that you establish care with one to follow up on those things so you won't have any potential poor outcomes from uncontrolled blood pressure. So now that we know what the potential diagnosis of high blood pressure is, as well as the risk factors and how it's diagnosed, let's transition to potential complications of high blood pressure, especially if it's uncontrolled. One is risk of heart attack and heart disease. So Uncontrolled high blood pressure damages the arteries and this can result in decreased blood flow and oxygen to the heart. You may have what we call chest pain or angina. 
a diagnosis of heart failure where because there's such poor circulation to the arteries that supply blood to the heart to allow it to function properly, then there's decreased blood flow and decreased oxygen and the heart failure results when there's just a poor pumping function of the heart. So pretty much consider it the heart as the main pump of the body. So if that's not functioning properly, then you're going to have a backup behind the heart and that's how you get issues with swelling in your legs as well as fluid in your lungs because your heart isn't pumping properly and then you have a retention of fluid because your heart is gone into failure. Another complication is stroke. Your arteries either burst because the blood pressure is so high in the blood vessels that supply the brain or either they're blocked because the blood flow is not sufficient getting to the brain and decrease oxygen supply. The risk with stroke, it can leave you with different disabilities, such as inability to move certain limbs, such as your arm or your legs, as well as decreased speech and overall affect your ability to process information, your thinking process, as well as being able to function normally going about your day to day, especially just something as simple as being able to walk on your own after a stroke. And lastly, the complication from uncontrolled high blood pressure is kidney disease. If you have decreased blood flow to your kidneys because of high blood pressure, it can result in kidney disease potentially leading to kidney failure where you'll end up on dialysis. So that's why it's so important to make sure that you know what your blood pressure readings are. And if you are diagnosed with high blood pressure, that you are compliant with medications if prescribed and diet recommendations as well to decrease the risk of these potential complications. You just don't know what complications that you're at risk for developing. Could you potentially have a stroke or a heart attack or kidney failure or possibly all three? So the ultimate goal is to prevent complications from high blood pressure with controlling your blood pressure readings by individuals being compliant with the recommendations for management. And overall goal for this episode is try to prevent this as much as possible by making people aware of the risk factors of uncontrolled blood pressure and to make sure that you're discussing with your primary care provider as well as for those who may be seeing a heart specialist about what your numbers are and what can you do about getting your blood pressures under control. Now that we talked about the complications of uncontrolled blood pressure, let's talk about ways that we can possibly prevent as well as manage high blood pressure. Now, I've mentioned earlier in the episode, especially if I have patients that are borderline risk for high blood pressure, I usually just talk about lifestyle choices that we can improve that hopefully can control blood pressure without necessarily starting medications. However, that's going to be individualized, especially if your blood pressure is too elevated because at the end of the day, we want to prevent those complications that I discussed earlier, such as stroke, heart attack, or kidney failure. So main things that you want to make sure that you focus on is if you haven't been physically active, start working out, especially if you haven't been active as far as any type of physical exercise. It's recommended that an individual have at least 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week with a couple of days of strength training. And if it's vigorous exercise, I usually tell people envision like a boot camp situation when you think about vigorous exercise and that's 75 minutes per week. Now, these are recommendations for physical exercise for an adult. 
And I always tell individuals, it doesn't have to be where you have to work out every day. It just needs to add up to be either that 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise versus vigorous exercise, which is 75 minutes per week. So on average, if you're doing the moderate exercise of 150 minutes per week, that's averaging about 30 minutes, five days out of the week. So before embarking on a new exercise program, definitely discuss with your primary care provider. We want to make sure that you're not putting yourself at risk for injury or any complications from starting a new exercise program. Another way to prevent and manage high blood pressure is quit smoking or any type of tobacco use. In regards to how smoking can impact your blood pressure, research has been done on patients who smoke regularly. And it shows that for those particular patients that their systolic, which is their top number in their blood pressure reading, is 20 points higher than normal because of the smoking versus your diastolic, which is your bottom number that you get on a blood pressure reading, it's 10 points higher. So you can see by quitting smoking alone can have a great impact on your blood pressure. So for many of you who are checking out this episode and maybe smokers or know of smokers who have been diagnosed with high blood pressure, this is a way to encourage them to quit smoking because potentially it may overall impact their need for medications. Another recommendation is maintaining a healthy weight. So that comes through the what I talked about, the exercise, as well as looking at healthier eating habits as well and decreasing the amount of sodium or salt intake and minimum alcohol consumption, if any alcohol consumption at all. Before I move on to another way of managing hypertension or potentially preventing high blood pressure. As it relates to the diet that many patients who are at risk for developing high blood pressure or who may even have the diagnosis of high blood pressure, there is a nutrition plan called or a diet plan called the DASH diet, which stands for the Dietary Approach to Stopping Hypertension. So I will put that link for the DASH diet in the show notes so Individuals can have access to that so they'll be able to understand what that is because it's a little bit too detailed to go into for this episode. But overall, it's just minimizing the sodium intake, but increasing plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables and consuming lean meats and minimizing fried foods, which has shown to benefit patients who have been diagnosed with high blood pressure, as well as those who have been at risk for developing high blood pressure. I want to mention as well that it is recommended that an adult should not consume more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day. And that's roughly a teaspoon of salt a day. So for those individuals who may eat out a lot or may consume a lot of highly processed foods, there's increased risk for high salt consumption. I always like to encourage individuals to start reading food labels to get an idea about how much salt that they're consuming in a day. So typically it's recommended 2,300 milligrams or a teaspoon a day of salt. So you want to look at that to minimize salt intake. And if a individual has been diagnosed with heart disease, in addition to high blood pressure, that's even lower. It's 2,000 milligrams. And if you want to learn more information about that, please check out my previous episode. Also, managing stress. We realize that stress plays a major role 
trying to minimize that as much as possible. I know it's easier said than done, but trying to minimize your stress will also help improve blood pressure readings. It doesn't have to be anything big as far as how individuals try to minimize their stress. It can be something as simple as meditation and prayer. Sometimes individuals work out to relieve stress. May even consider taking a walk. If you want to go more advanced, you know, some people do like spa days or take small trips. But it could be something as simple as just taking 30 minutes out of your day to just read a magazine or to begin a new book if you like to read books just some personal time and self-care and it is so important for individuals to realize that self-care is not selfish in order for you to be the best person that you can be you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself in order for you to be your best self as you interact with other individuals In addition, as far as just managing blood pressure from those lifestyle recommendations, as well as potentially preventing the development of high blood pressure, if individuals have the unfortunate diagnosis of high blood pressure and have to be started on medication, it's important that you take those medications as prescribed and that you maintain your routine follow-ups with your primary care provider or your heart specialist so they can monitor your blood pressure. I often recommend this to some of my patients to purchase a home blood pressure cuff, usually to get a reading that's almost close to what you would potentially obtain with a manual blood pressure cuff reading from a doctor's office. I usually recommend the arm cuff to purchase for individuals to monitor their blood pressures periodically at home. And if there's any concerns about your home blood pressure cuff, I usually just tell individuals to bring it by the office, you know, have a nursing visit if possible, if that's available at your doctor's office to check the accuracy of your blood pressure cuff and to make sure too that the blood pressure cuff that you purchase is the appropriate cuff size because sometimes people may end up purchasing a cuff that's not the appropriate fit and that can affect appropriate readings as well. Now, I often get questions about the purchase of the wrist cuff. I usually tell individuals I'm not a big fan of the wrist cuff because it reads significantly higher than the automated arm cuff as well as the manual blood pressure readings that you would get in a physician's office or a doctor's office. So I usually just tell people try to get the arm blood pressure cuff if they can, the automated one, as well as I get questions about the cost of a potential home blood pressure cuff. Typically they range at the lowest 35, 40 bucks or higher. I also recommend to patients who have been diagnosed with high blood pressure that they check with their insurance companies because sometimes they allow for the purchase of home blood pressure cuffs for monitoring under certain plans. So that's something that many of you who have been diagnosed with high blood pressure can check with your insurance carrier. For those individuals that have been diagnosed with diabetes, it's important to also have your diabetes under control. It's been noted, which I didn't know, six out of uh, 10 individuals that have a diagnosis of diabetes have a diagnosis of high blood pressure or hypertension as well. So getting your diabetes under control is also going to benefit your control of high blood pressure. I know I've given uh, quite a bit of information for this episode, but I wanted to make sure that individuals first and foremost know your number. So if you take anything from this episode, know what your blood pressure readings are, know your risk factors and discuss those with your primary care provider. 
make sure that you do those lifestyle changes that can improve your blood pressure as well. In addition, for those individuals that have to be put on medication to control their blood pressure, please discuss with your doctor, whether it's your primary care doctor or a specialist that has you on those medications to control blood pressure, that if you have any potential side effects or unable to tolerate it in some form or fashion, please discuss that with your primary care provider because each medicine will affect individuals differently. And in order to combat those side effects, there are potential alternatives that may be available. So we don't want you to just not take the medication and have a risk of uncontrolled blood pressure, but be open and honest about the medications with your primary care provider so adjustments can be made. So you won't be at risk of these potential complications because you just can't tolerate a particular medication and you're not aware that there may be some other options out there. So just be open and honest before stopping a medication. Just discuss it with your primary care provider or the specialist as warranted. Last but not least, if you do not have a primary care provider, please find a primary care physician. It is so important because normal screening such as blood pressure can be done at routine office visits and can catch potential risk of developing high blood pressure at an earlier stage instead of potentially having a diagnosis or complication of hypertension or uncontrolled blood pressure where you end up in the emergency room with a stroke or a heart attack because you weren't monitored by a primary care physician and you were unaware that you had a diagnosis of high blood pressure. Overall, I hope this has been informative. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you have found this information to be helpful, please leave a five-star review on your streaming platform of choice and share this podcast with friends and family. Encourage them to download it as well so I can continue to provide great content. And this is your host, Dr. Dion. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and feel free to tell your family and friends to check out the podcast. And remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and the thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice.